Welcome to the Word Weaver podcast, a literary place in cyberspace where I share tangible tips, tricks, and words of wisdom to help you achieve your dream of writing a book. I'm your host, Louise Johnson, a writer and the author of Behind the Red Door. Let's dive into today's chapter. Welcome back to the Word Weaver podcast. I am so excited to chat with Lindsay Ziervogel. She is the debut author of Letters to Amelia, this gorgeous cover. And I just picked this book up at Tight Books. It's an independent bookstore in Toronto. And we connected online and I just can't wait to chat with you. So welcome to the show. Thanks for taking the time today. Thanks so much. So I first want to get into, I devoured this book in a weekend. Incredible read, which to me is a high compliment. If you can read through it, you can't put it down. And I was initially intrigued about Amelia Earhart. I love her. I love that historical aspect. And I really loved how you talked about Toronto, the Thomas Fisher Rare Books Library. I just moved a couple of weeks ago from the annex. So I love Harvard Street and everything. But what I really loved is kind of the underlying themes of this book. And it's about the transformative power of reading and most importantly, writing letters and ultimately about connection and how we can overcome fear and grief through letter writing. And I just really, really commend this is your debut book. I can't believe it. First, how does it feel? Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. This is making me teary. Thank you. Aww. It's really exciting. I, I spent a lot of time with, with the book, but also just with the material. It took me a long time to sort of figure out the form and the narrative and the voice, like a lot of time. Yeah. Um, so it's really exciting to actually like have it out in the world. Like I did a book club last night and, you know, to be around like a group of people who have all read the book, like it's, it's really exciting, especially during, you know, COVID pandemic launches where you don't necessarily get that. Uh, it's been really nice. Really yeah, exciting. it's surreal. It's been something private for so long and now it's in the public sphere. So what was the inspiration behind Letters to Amelia? What was the catalyst that made you want this to be your debut? Uh, so bajillion years ago, like early 2000s, I read a really terrible uh, biography of Amelia Earhart, like really bad. Like they, you know, like put um, conversations from when she was a child, like in quotation marks, <laughs> like just, it was terribly written. Horrible. Um, it was horrible. Yeah. But of course I read it. Uh, and, but I found so many parts of her story. So interesting, you know, the only thing I knew about her at that time was, you know, that she had disappeared. She was a pilot and she disappeared. Uh, and so to learn that she spent a lot of time in Toronto where I was born and grew up and was living at the time. Um, you know, that she did all these really interesting things that had nothing to do with flying or were sort of flying adjacent, uh, that she just, you know, really carved her own path. I found those parts of her life so fascinating. Um, I wrote a very terrible novel in verse about her that will never see the light of day. Oh, I love uh, like that. When I was 23, we'll never see the light of day. Uh, but, and a few poems, you know, from the, from that sort of longer piece, if we can call it that, um, were published. Uh, and I sort of like, you know, didn't really think about it again. A few years later, I was traveling for the first time on my own. Uh, and I was about to start grad school and I was you know, alone in Seville in Spain and nobody spoke English where I was. Yeah. And it was the first time that I'd ever had that feeling where I could not communicate 
with yeah. anybody about anything. Like getting a coffee was not easy and it was exciting, but it also was really lonely again in this way that I'd never felt before. Yeah. And it felt, you know, like I'd walk to the, this is, you know, 2005. So I'd like walk to the um, internet cafe and like send my emails. I'm having the best time, blah, blah, blah. But there was something about this lonely feeling that like, it wasn't bad. And I didn't want people to, you know, feel sorry for me or, mm -hmm. or, you know, and I also felt like, you know, they'd be like, why, why are you complaining? Like you're having the best time. And I was, but there was again, this feeling. And I, so I wanted, I started writing letters to Amelia Earhart because she was never going to respond to me. Yeah. I felt very close to her in this, you know, very intimate sort of way. Um, so, and I don't know, were they auto fiction? Maybe. I don't even know what they were. They were sort of this exercise for myself you know like I, I you know I don't really keep a journal but it, it was kind of like this hybrid between like a journal and a maybe a poem I don't know I don't even know yeah. what they were and I wrote a whole bunch of them and it really like helped me process the feelings that I was having then you know didn't think about them again a whole bunch of them got published which I was they were like are these poems are they prose I was like I don't know what they are <laughs> Here they go. whatever you want to yeah. make them they can be with there um so mm -hmm. and then I you know a few years after I remember I don't know why I was like by a dump like up north and I you know wrote a few more and a few more got published and so they were just these like things that I did every time I would sort of be experiencing something strange like she was just sort of this like kind of like far off friend aunt mother type figure that yeah. you know wasn't going to judge me out really. in the cosmic void yeah I just could put these words out and just let them be um and again none of this was a book there was no character there was no structure it was just mm -hmm. these like little pieces that were sort of about me and sort of not about me and sort of about Amelia and sort of not. Um, and then I found out about this research grant from Access Copyright Foundation and the deadline was the next day. And a friend was like, you know, I, we had been talking about Newfoundland and, you know, she said like, you know, Amelia flew out of Newfoundland. I was like, oh yeah. I was like, I, maybe I should, I should go to Newfoundland. Like I should go and I don't know what. So I went, yeah, I was like, something will happen. So I went, of course, I hadn't done very much research before I went. So when I showed up in Trapassi, as in the book, the museum that has Amelia Earhart's things was closed. So that wasn't the best amount of research that I had done. Um, <laughs> so I decided, I was like, I'll work that into the whatever I'm working on. I went to Harbor Grace. It was really amazing to be there. And I, again, I just, I had a feeling that it was important, mm -hmm. but again, I didn't know what it was. So I had did a lot of writing, a lot of writing that ends up in the book, but again, I, I didn't have a narrator. I didn't have a character. Like it just was material. Oh. And then when I was pregnant with my daughter, mm -hmm. 17, I knew that I couldn't write a novel. Uh, I tried to write a novel when my oldest kid was, when I was on Mat Leave with him and it was a terrible disaster. So I was you like- You wrote a great essay about that. Everyone should I read. did just wrote it. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Um, yeah, it was impossible <laughs> to write for me when I was on Mat Leave because my child didn't sleep. So, but I figured I could write letters like that I was like oh all these letters to Amelia that I've been writing writing have been public like a whole bunch of them have been published and I just had this sense that there was more to it so I was like yeah. I could write letters in short very short windows so I decided during my mat leave I would just start working on letters to Amelia again like the sort of framework of a character was there and um sort of had, had come about sort of while I was very pregnant and that's when I started that's when the novel sort of became what it is now um so yeah it took a lot of 
like missteps and misfires and not really sure what anything was before I actually figured out what it could be. And yeah. then, and that, at that point, it, there was a lot of momentum and it sort of came, came, I mean, it still took a while, let's be serious, but it, it became more what it is now. That is fascinating. And another reason we are meant to be speaking today. Wow. Because so my book is about Elizabeth Arden and similar, just this fascination admiration about her like you with Amelia Earhart and I would write journal entries and I'm same with you I never kept a diary I thought I was kind of spiraling into madness writing to an inanimate object so there's something cathartic about writing to a real person who will never read it so it's really an audience of one but they are out in this cosmic void in the ether so I can really relate to the writing of the letters aspect to process thoughts and you don't know what it is until it becomes so I love that whole journey of it started with letters you didn't have the structure for the book and then so kind of a two-part question how did you first dovetail into the research what was the actual research process like to find out more I mean the museum was closed when you went to Newfoundland but obviously you've done a ton of research I thought it was so cool she was a nurse's aide in Toronto in World War II I love that kind of undocumented part that you put into the book so that's the first part your research process and then the second is I'm really curious how you did create a narrative book structure because that is challenging to take letters like, what did you have a mentor? Did you read a writing craft book? I would love to hear the nitty gritty of that. So I'll start with that one and then I'll get back to research. So I, um, originally the book was going to be all letters. That was my sort of initial mm-hmm. impulse. And I sent it to a friend of mine who it was out West, Emily Arve, and she and I only communicate through letters. Um, she, you know, she moved out there. We both have really busy lives and that's just, she's not really online very much. So we just write letters to each other. And so I, love you know, it. sent her a bunch of stuff and she was like, this is interesting. I wonder if you'll be, because she's always so kind in her feedback. I wonder (laughs) if you'll be able to really tell the story of someone through only, because letters are through one person's perspective. They're always retrospective, right? They're always like reflective and looking back. She was like, I wonder if, and of course my reaction to all feedback is always like, of course I can, (laughs) ego, hurt, whatever. And then I was like, oh, actually you're right. Like I, I won't be able to to really tell the story that I want to tell just through letters. I mean, I think that some people can do it successfully. I don't think I could. I also think that sometimes it's like a device more than, which is also fine, but that's not what I wanted to do. I didn't want the letters to be a device as much as I wanted them to feel like actual letters. Yeah. Um, so that's when it sort of became like letters, prose, letters, prose sort of throughout. Yeah. Um, and when I was working with my editor, Meg Story, who's extraordinary, uh, that's when the letters from Amelia came into play. So that didn't happen until like really late in the writing process. Okay. Uh, she was, a, a lot of the information had been there, but it wasn't through Amelia's voice. Mm-hmm. And she was like, I think we need Amelia's voice somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was strangely one of the easiest parts of the whole writing process was slipping <laughs> into Amelia's voice, which actually dovetails nicely into the research question. So when I was first doing research um, for the book, like, so generally my writing process is like, I generate a lot of material. And after I have like this big pile of like stuff, <laughs> yeah. uh, then I sort of start piecing through it and figuring out what goes where. And sort of like, I always think of it as like a Lego structure. Like I have all my Lego blocks and then I need to sort of like build them 
into whatever they need to be, moving them around, et cetera. Um, so in that process, when I was just generating material, I would literally like Google like Amelia Earhart plus shoe or like Amelia Earhart <laughs> haircut, like really random. There's so much material about Amelia Earhart on the internet. Yeah. Um, and there's so much about, you know, the conspiracy theories and her disappearance that I really want to avoid going there initially. Like I just wanted Yep. To just get a sense of some, and I found that the visuals, the pictures of her were really inspiring. Um, a lot of that stuff didn't make it into the book. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, like there are these amazing photos of her in Wyoming getting a haircut by this cowboy, oh. Carl, and uh, which, you know, and that there was like little threads of that in the book where she, you know, talks about going to, yep. going to Wyoming. Um, uh, there's another amazing haircut of a uh, picture of her getting her haircut at a barbershop in Miami. And again, like seeing her in these very, you know, quote unquote, masculine settings, especially in the twenties and thirties, where that was, you know, really not appropriate, mm -hmm. just really sort of gave me um, like a bigger sense of what she could be and who she could be in, 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 in my novel. Um, yeah. And then once I, you know, figured out the story, I then actually had to do some actual research to figure out, uh, you know, like, the timelines of things and the order of things um yeah. there's a lot documented about her obviously she's so famous mm -hmm. but because she was around you know pre-internet there's a lot of her life she she could really control her narrative in a lot of ways mm -hmm. so there's parts of her life that really aren't documented and those were the parts that I felt like I could jump into as a fiction writer and sort of build from so you know in the novel she has an affair with Jean Vidal. Yep. Uh, who knows if she actually had that affair or not? Like it's not documented because mm -hmm. it wouldn't be. I mean, there are rumors. His son said she was. She never confirmed it. So again, there's mm -hmm. like this place where I could jump in where I didn't feel like I was just, you know, telling a story that wasn't. So that it was true, but it also wasn't not true it just wasn't unsubstantiated which exactly. it wouldn't have been pre-internet yeah and yeah, same with you know in the in-between exactly and 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 fictionalized in between for sure yes. same with you know there's rumors that she had a baby uh mm. and again maybe she did maybe she didn't it's very you know it, again it depends same with you know her disappearance there are so many different theories um so i feel like that that again figuring out the research helped me be able to dive into the places that where there were holes right um and i found that like the bulk of after i'd sort of done the like you know timeline research and you know who's mm -hmm. in her life and what's what are these sort of important touchstones in her life i um read i found this collection of letters that she had written to her mother from when she was four years old till right before her disappearance at 37. incredible it was amazing because i got like she's she's written three books I could not make it through any of them, like, because mm -hmm. they're very over edited. They're very scripted. They're very like this, this tone of voice that just didn't feel authentic to her personal voice, like her, you know, first let's person. talk as friends. Yeah. yeah. And so, but these letters really unlocked that for me. Like I really found, you know, what she found important and how she spoke about things. And, and that, that part was really special and important for sure. And can you tell where did you find that box of letters? How did you come Oh, across? I didn't find a box. It's a collection. Like it's the, a or the collection. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yes, so it's a book of letters. So, mm -hmm. and Purdue University has all of her letters and they're all digitized. Incredible. It's an amazing archive. But again, a lot of it was very, um, 
like formal, like they were like mm-hmm. her, her formal correspondence, which again, I feel like now formal correspondence isn't quite as formal, but back in the twenties, formal correspondence was formal. Like there was letterhead and there was like convention. Um, I would love yeah. to go back to that. The golden era, <laughs> maybe <laughs> a little letter bit. writing. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's fascinating. And then you were saying you've structured it. What is your writing process like? Are you a cue cards? You tape the timeline to the wall. How did you get from beginning to a finished draft? I, um, I don't do cue cards on the wall, though. I feel like maybe I should. I, uh, <laughs> I, That's I, what I, I do. <laughs> I work in um, word documents, mm-hmm. like very, like each word document is a scene. I've been told yep. I should use Scrivener, but I just, I'm old fashioned and I can't switch my brain into something else. Um, yeah. So I can really move things. And so like, I, I break things down into sections, mm-hmm. um, quite small sections. So they're quite manageable. So like each, each, like the beginning would be, um, you know, the breakup stuff was at the beginning, then the Newfoundland stuff, then the, um, you know, post Newfoundland pre-pregnancy stuff, which is not a spoiler. It's on the back of the book. Um, So like I I, I sort of broke it down into really small sections and I would sort of um, play around with each within, within each section. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I guess. And you just kept moving towards each. Yeah. And I, and I knew sort of the sections before I sort of started playing within each, I I call them buckets. Like I have my buckets, there are folders on my desktop and then I sort of fill each folder and then I can move stuff around within that. I love that. I could have a whole podcast episode with you about the minutiae of even what pens do you use and all of that. Uh, okay, I was so say I have mine here, but I don't. The finished draft for a lot of new writers, the next step is getting a literary agent. Can you tell us beyond the writing, what was that process like for you getting an agent and then ultimately going on submission and getting a book deal? Sure. So I uh, also write kids' books. So I had an agent yeah. who sold my uh, two kids' books for me. So he also just took on this part as well. Um, uh, selling it to book hug, my publisher. I also know Hazel, uh, I'm in a book club with her. <laughs> She's the publisher awesome. of book hub. So we ended up, you know, we were at a friend's pool swimming and we, you know, we're talking about the book and, you know, I was like, Oh, it's on submission. And I felt strange sending it to her because we're friends. And she was like, I really want to read it. So can yeah. you send it to me? So that's sort of how that sort of came to be. Love um, yeah, I've since I have a new agent uh, for sort of books going forwards. Um, and that process was, um, you know, it, it's like going on submission again. Like it feels it's daunting and exciting. And, like online like, dating. Yeah, it is. It's so, it's so, um, but it's also so much fun. Like I, I love having, you know, this relationship that I'm building with this woman. And it's, it's a lot of fun to sort of yeah. figure out what that can look like. Yeah, it is. And someone taking your career into their hands because it's so lonely for so long. Then now you feel like you have a team and it's like, wow, like I created this kind of momentum. And to be able to ask questions like, well, what do you think about this? Or like, like I have uh, like a second novel that's not quite ready yet. And a Mm -hmm. bunch of kids books. And it's like, what should we do first? How should we, you know, like play this out? And it's, it's, it's so nice to have someone in your corner. And I realized, um, and for me, an agent, I always thought it was just about like getting the book deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have since learned that that is a very small part of that relationship. And so yep. much of it is about, you know, having those conversations afterwards. Um, yeah. You know, so I don't, I'm not the one that has to have them with publishers and with editors and that kind of thing. So that that's what I've learned about the agent relationship. Yeah, they can kind of be the bad guy for you. 
and they're also looking at the big picture. It's yeah, it's really, really exciting that whole. And they have different relationships than you do. Right. And that's also really helpful. Super yeah. Helpful. Yeah, exactly. So then what was it like launching your first book in a pandemic? I mean, the themes of your book are pretty perfect and poignant for this era we're currently living in, but how did COVID affect or shift your launch? So I was hoping to do, I mean, who isn't, to do something in person. And I I realized, you know, at first it was like, oh my God, we're not even going to be vaccinated by September. And then I was like, oh, we're all vaccinated. It's June. Yeah. What does this mean? And, um, you know, there was that sort of like halcyon moment in July where like everything felt like very promising and possible. And I, yeah. And I was thinking, but then I was thinking, you know, I'd love to feel tight books in the junction which is, mm-hmm. you know, the bookstore near me. I want to just pack it with all my favorite people. And I was like, okay, but that's never going to happen like mm-hmm. during COVID. Like, yeah. and if, you know, we're going to like distance, then there's going to be like my husband, my mom, and my, you know, dad. And that's all the people that will fit in the bookstore. If we're all yeah, exactly. apart. Like I was like, that's not, the, all that's not what I, yeah. Like I was like, okay, that's not actually what I want. Like that's what I want, but it's the reality is not what I want. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I'll do like something outdoors. Um, so that was going to be exciting, like to just to have some, cause I was like, I think I need to do like, like not a big public thing, but it's something with, you know, family and friends. And that felt great. Uh, and I, and I did, um, through the, uh, all it up, I was able to do an online event and it was so much fun. And again, I was really worried that I wouldn't feel fun and supported and great, but it was amazing. Michelle oh, Arbuckle so was the host from OLA. She's such a dear friend. She's amazing. Danny Kind, who's from Working Moms, did a reading. Oh. Um, Angela Antle, who's uh, out in Newfoundland, who I met when I was there. She was so wonderful and gracious, uh, hosted and like did the interview. Oh. So it was really, it felt really good. Like I felt like I was like just in this big, huge, like book hug of people. It was amazing. Yeah, so no it pun actually intended felt, with your yeah. publisher. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so it felt, I was afraid it was going to feel really flat, but yeah. it really didn't. It was wonderful. Um, you know, like a friend of a friend made like a cocktail recipe. So we could all have like, it's like the paper plane cocktails. And so everything about it felt really wonderful. Uh, And then I was like, and then I'm going to do this thing outdoors with all my people. And then um, there were eight COVID cases in my daughter's class in the first three days of school. (laughs) And I was like, I I can't do this. I can't, even if it's outdoors, like I I can't, no, like canceled it. And it, Oh, hurt like it really sucked it really like I was like oh I thought I needed that but then I realized doing like the smaller group things like a friend of mine came in from Ottawa and like showed up with like champagne and oysters and made a huge poster of my book cover and was like I demand a reading um, <laughs> and so I and you know, friends I like that totally like my book club I was hosting book club and you know I thought we were gonna just like talk about books but turns out it was like a party for me and like Aww. so they're they and my writing group did the same thing so I had these like mini little celebrations yeah and I think that that again for my personality too sort of worked better than like a huge room full of a million people who I didn't get to talk to like I really got to have and I got to like spread it out over a longer time like it wasn't just sort of one, one moment thing. so because it was actually really lovely it was really oh it felt very fetid yeah 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 no that's so true it's like I feel like the 2020 debut authors kind of set the scene for it and they had to pivot the word of the year, do everything online. So we kind of knew, okay, these virtual events. And I, 
feel the exact same as you of like, oh, it's going to be flat, not the same, but you can reach such a wider audience because people totally. can't pack into type books at your local bookstore. I mean, a select few, but now you can reach people all over the world. So, and that was amazing. Like there was pe- like, you know, when I was looking at like, who was there, I was like, oh my gosh, and they're here and they're and they're in England. Yeah. It must be like one in the morning. Like it was, and that wouldn't have happened otherwise. So it was, it right. felt really open in a way that was really wonderful. Like, you know, I have young kids and I haven't been able to go to a book launch in forever, but yeah. now I get to go to book launches all the time. Yeah, every day in your pajamas, yeah. if you want. Totally. When am I not in my pajamas? I'm on my pajamas on the bottom right now. Exactly. Um, yeah. Like there's something about that that is, nobody ever knows. Yeah. <laughs> so I feel like that, and you know, like the accessibility piece, like there's just something, mm-hmm. I think with like book stuff, like I'm able to do book clubs. Yes anywhere it doesn't matter where and and that wouldn't happen Mm -hmm. pre-covid right it was like you you know you'd show up to something and do something and you know that's a huge commitment of time it's a commitment Mm -hmm. of resources but this way it's like yeah book clubs let's do this like launches let's do this there's something about it that I think works Mm -hmm. for this yeah it's definitely the silver lining but I agree with you too there is something about walking into a bookstore and seeing your book on shelf that will never get old Oh, that will never get old. No. And I do it all the time. I like oh, it. yes. Well, so, so that's exciting. kind of the question for you. Like, what does success as an author look and feel like for you? Is it walking into the bookstore and seeing it there? Is it hitting a bestseller list? What is that? What does that picture look like? I think I ask myself that every day and I don't yeah. think I know the answer. Um, yeah. I think success for me is like writing, like mm-hmm. writing more, just like keep doing it again. Like a, a friend of mine once said, like everyone has one book in them. Yeah. But like having two books in you is like, that's different. Yeah. I've been thinking about that a lot. Um, walking into a bookstore and seeing my name on a shelf is oh. like, it is something that, you know, like when I'm, anytime I get published you know seeing my byline is always like I get a thrill every time yeah and it is you know that on times a thousand to see you know my the spine of my book with the little airplane in a bookstore like I just I just love it yeah it's so it's it's really special I you know I I've always been such a huge reader I used to work at a bookstore you know and so I'd like dust the shelves and be like that's where my book will go one day hopefully and to be able to be like it's there. It's actually there. Yeah. Oh. It's, it's really special. It's, it's really thrilling. I feel that on a very deep level. I love that. Have you always wanted to be a writer? What was before this book you worked? T- tell us a little bit about kind of your background before leading up to that. And was the end goal always to be a career author? So I always wanted to write for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I used to think it was a lot easier than it is. <laughs> I think everyone uh, does. My friends I think you have to, otherwise it's like, yeah. Um, <laughs> so I remember, I, I wish I had it beside me. It's in my basement, but I, I, in grade three, I wrote this book called The Day the Fish Caught Me. It was an autobiographical story. Great uh, title. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I did the illustrations as well. Now I will not be illustrating anything. Um, but there was something in that process of like having a bound book that mm-hmm. was really thrilling to me. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, you know, I was eight. Uh, and then, you know, fast forward and, you know, in high school, I was writing poetry and I, um, after high school, I was a modern dancer. Like I studied contemporary modern dance. Um, 
And so I was writing poetry at the same time. And I feel like those two things really connected, like they're imagistic, they're not narrative, they're abstract. Uh, and that's sort of, I was, I was a poet. That's how I would have to, well, I would have said I'm a dancer and a poet. Um, Hybrid. And yes, yeah. So, and, but I, uh, and choreographer, but I was too injured to make much of a career as a dancer. So I went back to school um, and did English. And at that time was writing a lot more and because my body, my hips were not into me doing very much else. Mm -hmm. um, and from there, I, uh, there was a master's program in creative writing that opened up at U of T. Mm -hmm. Sort of as I was finishing, I think, uh, like in my final years when it started. Uh, so I decided to do that and I went in as a poet. So I went in writing poetry, mm -hmm. uh, thinking that that's what I would do. And we started with fiction as the first course, uh, mm -hmm. like the creative writing course. And I, cause I'd never written short stories. I can't write short stories. I still can't write short stories. There's something about the like framework and the, mm -hmm. the everything about it that, that I just can't manage to do. A different muscle. <laughs> it is, it totally yeah. is. Like I, and it's just not the muscle that I have. And I realized, mm -hmm. oh, I don't write short fiction. I write long fiction. And that's when every sort of I clicked that like, oh, I think that I actually just write in a different form than I always You're a marathon did. runner, not a sprinter. Exactly, <laughs> and which is funny because I also like, when I would run, I used to run, again, pre-body mm -hmm. falling apart on me. Um, and my 5K pace was so slow because my 5K pace was a 21K pace because that's what I do. I'm like, I just, I like the like consistent, long, slow and steady. Like that is yep. how I am. Um, it took me, and then of course I wrote like really bad novels for a long time because- As we all do. <laughs> because it takes a long time to like, for me anyways to figure out how to write a novel like I'd have these interesting characters or an interesting idea mm -hmm. and I'd be like 80,000 words in and be like I don't think this is like it doesn't hang like it doesn't hang together it's not a thing yep um but of course I was stubborn I'd be like I will turn it into a thing so I would just bash and bash and bash away until it was nothing trying really. to rework it and yeah. sometimes it just yeah. doesn't work Sometimes it doesn't work. And I think that that, I think I'm getting better at that. I think I'm getting better at figuring out, like with the Amelia, I knew that there was something to it that I hadn't figured out yet. Yeah. So I'm glad I didn't just like discard it, mm -hmm. but it took a while to really figure out what the sort of bigger form, bigger narrative was. And I think I'm getting better at figuring that out. What was the most challenging then or the most surprising with Letters to Amelia? What was the hardest part of it? Um... I think maybe two things. One was, you know, when I was getting grant rejections mm -hmm. and I got a particularly brutal one from the Canada Council. Like I called to get some feedback. Oh, and that, like, do you have it that, still that letter? <laughs> it was over the phone. Worse. Well, so like, I, cause I called to get feedback. So like, you know, and I wanted it. You walked and into I, the lion's den. I did. I walked fully in. <laughs> I'm I regret that I did, <laughs> but, and, and I'd already gotten the publishing contract. So I already knew that this book was going to be a book and I was asking for, um, you know, any feedback for my sort of next application and oh my God, like the, the feedback was so devastating that I think if I hadn't already had a publishing contract, I probably would have shelved it. Like it was wow. devastating. Like they were like, she was like, well, I'm reading here and the jury, you know, wonders like, if there's any relevance at all for this book. And I was like, ah! like, wow. I just, I sobbed through the whole Ugh. phone call. Like I couldn't even, 
make a sound that wasn't just like hysterical song. It was awful. Oh, that, so that was a heart. bit of a low moment. And yet I, I had the book deal. So I was also kind of like, well, you don't know. Yeah, there's external, there's people who wanted to buy this. Yes, yes, who believe in it. Yeah. Um, but again, I think if that had happened without the book deal, it would have been like really crushing. I'm so um, happy you're saying that. I think it's really important for people to hear that because you can get crushed so easily. And I don't want anyone else to ever shelve a project with rejection because it's a part of the process. So I'm very happy. And I do think that like, for me, it's important for me to figure out when it's time to shelve a project, but it's not up to other people to figure out when it's time to shelve a project, right? Like writing and reading is subjective. It is not a math problem. There's no black or white right answer. No. And that it's always malleable. Like the Mm -hmm. book was accepted. And then I did a full rewrite during the pandemic somehow, like with all the Amelia stuff, like it, it, you know, and let's write the Amelia letters. And I feel like, again, like they're sort of like, until they're actually like printed, they're like these growing organisms that can shift and change and move. And, you know, like uh, the book originally started in Newfoundland and I sort of moved it back and it made such a big difference. And again, like little shifts like that can just transform the narrative in such amazing ways. And I, you know, having, like, I have a writing group that I work with, uh, and they're so formative. I, with this book, it was all in the first person originally. Mm -hmm. And one of the people in my writing group was like, what if only the letters were in the first person and the prose was in third? And I was like, that's a stupid idea. (laughs) Of course I'm like, and I was like, yeah, yeah. Thank you for your feedback. No, absolutely not. And then because this is my reaction to all feedback is like, no. And then I think about it. I'm like, that's the best idea literally ever. Like, yes. Yeah. Yes. You just have to let it percolate for a little bit. Totally. I do. I always do. I have to like go for a walk, go for a swim, have a bath, (laughs) have a shower, something to like do the thing with my head. Uh, And then, yeah. And all of a sudden I was like, of course, because then the letters are distinct and they're different and the voice is different. And um, Yeah. yeah. So I feel like that's the thing, like these things that we create can have so many different permutations and like a small change can make have such a big impact yeah point of view of the tense it's crazy how much it can shift and it's funny reading it I couldn't picture it any other way and that's just how you know it's a good book because what is it easy reading is hard writing like behind the scenes that wasn't how it just flowed naturally from your head. It shape-shifted over time. And that's also something to always remember. My book was the exact same way. But that's cool that somebody in your writers or your book club, writer's group, group. writer's group. Yeah. 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 There was just one little thing. You're like, no. And then it is how the final product turned out to be. Totally. And it was really important. Like it's integral to the book for that to be the case. Yeah. Okay. So what is the one most rewarding part of this entire process it might you might have already said it walking into a bookstore but what else is is it so walking into a bookstore I um let me think I think getting feedback from people like some people that I don't even really know to saying like wow this book really resonated with me like I I don't think I was expecting that and it's really special like it's really amazing to like open up Twitter and get a DM from someone being like oh my God, and here's why this book spoke to me. But like this whole, like it's, because I do that. And, you know, books that I connect with, you know, I want to share them. I want to yell to the shops. I want to contact the author and tell them I love it. And now I'm like, oh, I can be the recipient of that. Like I can <laughs> yeah. create those connections for people. I can, 
Um, I also, because I was a dancer, you know, I was very used to this sort of four day, you know, you have four days in the theater, mm -hmm. get the buns in the seats, sell all the tickets and like, that's it. You got one shot, you get four days and that's it. Yeah. And so this process, like my book still exists. It will exist in five years. It will exist in 10 years. Like, and to know that it's going to be able to connect, that people will be able to connect with mm -hmm. it sort of maybe not forever that's a sort of a very ridiculously large word but like for a very long time is is a really different pace that I still haven't quite wrapped my head around like I'm still used to this oh. like put all your energy into it and then like it's over Move on to like, the next yeah and I'm like oh yeah it's not over like that's a really just good... asked me to do a book club in May of next year I'm like wow May yeah. of next year people are going to be reading my book yeah I'm like of course they will be but there's also something about that sort of pace for me that I find I'm still wrapping my head around. Yeah, it's evergreen. Yeah. You'll already be on to your next book, but it can still linger on. I think that's- And it really has its own life. Like it's like doing yeah. its own thing. And people are like, I've done all these book clubs and people's perceptions of things are so different. Like even within a book club, someone's like, I love this part. And someone's like, oh, I felt so uncomfortable when that happened. Like, oh, tell me more. Like, yeah, yeah. Yay. It, yeah, people put their own projections onto your work, which is really cool and very special. Yeah, there's nothing like getting feedback from a stranger who gets what you were trying to do. Yes, totally. Yeah. It's, it's like you feel seen and heard and understood and you're like, wow, thank God. It makes all of the rejections that much more worthwhile. And it feels like, you know, they, I feel like I've gotten better with, so I also write grants as a profession. Like that's what I do mm -hmm. to make money. Cause this is not making, not paying my mortgage. Um, yet, yet. Can we say yeah. yet? Um, <laughs> yes, but, yes, yes. <laughs> but so like I write grants for people all the time. I write really good grants for people, really good grants still don't get funding. Like, I feel like yeah. it's easier for me. Like I, you know, taking in rejection. Also, I find, you know, with rejection, like hearing, you know, this is a no, but I love your, like remembering to hold on to the, but da, 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 you know, like yeah. your writing's amazing or this, the, the dialogue is so strong, whatever that part is, it's so easy to forget that part and just hear the like big blaring no. Mm -hmm. And sometimes to be like, you know what, it's just not the right fit. Like, yeah. It's not the right fit. You don't yeah. want to work with that person anyways, you know, yeah. like want some, you want people to love your work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so it's, it's, it's not always easy to remember that. In my dark moments, I do not. But that's why I have writing friends and people that I can like really upset about. Yeah. And then, you know, move on. Yeah, I know. I, I used to get the advice, oh, you have, you'll develop a thick skin. It'll get easier. But writers are sensitive people. We have to be to write deep, thought-provoking work. So, of course, we're going to be sensitive and take rejection and criticism personally. I think it comes hand in hand. But the things that I think about for rejection is just every no is a next mm -hmm. and it only Let's takes one it. person. You just need one person to believe in it and become your agent, one person to push it through acquisitions and it's a book deal. And yeah, I think learning to live with rejection, not, not accept it, but just kind of have that as your, the just devil exists. on your shoulder, it's there. Yeah. You yeah. don't have to yeah. love it. Yeah. And we yeah. don't have to, uh, like dive into, I also feel like on, you know, some rejections like water off my back. Nobody, I'm like, oh, okay. Didn't work out, whatever. Yeah. And some like really hurt, mm -hmm. like some feel deep. Yeah. And I think it's important to like be okay with feeling like when you spend years and years working on a project, 
you should feel upset. Like that makes sense. That's human nature. Like yeah. it would be strange if you were like, I don't care. Like, of course you care. And you right. should like, you've invested so much of yourself yeah. and your time and your life and your energy. But like, it should matter. Yeah. And I think it's okay for it to matter. Mm-hmm. And then you need to move on. Like, I feel like it like go there, feel really crummy about it. Yep. Text your writing people and have them, you know, commiserate with you. And then, you know, you'll find your way out of it. That's the best way to deal with rejection. Perfect advice. Yeah. Well, that's perfect segue actually to my next question. So you also teach writing workshops. Mm -hmm. What would be your best advice or top tips for new writers, aspiring authors? That's a great one. I think specificity. I think that that is the key to good writing is it's very easy to speak in general terms. And this, I think applies to like literally every type of writing, (laughs) like, press releases to novels, um, <laughs> you know, grant applications to, you know, annual reports. Like I feel like the yeah. more specific you can be about literally everything, mm-hmm. the better. And I think that, I think, you know, as with new writers, I think it's easy to like either be very general or like added way too many specifics, like way too many details. And I think like, you know, really figuring out what the exact specifics are that sort of that you can zone in on. I think that that's key. I think that that makes that for me is like when good writing really stands out when something is really um, specific. Cause it, again, the specifics really resonate with a bigger pop population than, you know, it's, it's that strange thing where like, you think like, Oh, if I'm being general, I'm going to reach bigger, like more people, but like actually the more specific you can be. Yeah. The, the more resonant, it, you know, the experience can be for the reader. I really like that. I haven't heard that before. I'm going to think about that a lot. It, it makes so much sense. Yeah. That's I also cool. think reading, like, I mean, everyone says this, but like reading, mm-hmm. um, reading for certain things. So uh, I was just working on the structure of my second novel and I just couldn't figure out like flashbacks were really confounding me in this, in this project. And so I read a book, uh, Want by Lynn Sticker Strong. And I was like, how does she do flashbacks? Book. Oh my God. It's so Love good. Her. Yeah. So much more complex the second time around when I read it than the first time around even. Yes. Like and, and so I read it only to look for like the, the like sort of flashback structure mm-hmm. because I don't need to go do an MFA to figure out how to write flashbacks. I can figure it out. I, I just need to like be very conscious. And so I take notes and I, you know, really read for just that. Like I wasn't reading for plot. I wasn't reading for character. Mm-hmm. I wasn't reading for any of the other six stuff. So I feel like that's sort of what I generally do. And I'm like, mm, I'm really struggling with X. Yeah. Like, okay, take a book that you know and love and read it again for, you know, like just that overlay. And I feel like that can be so helpful in sort of pushing my own writing forwards. Yeah. Read critically. That's yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. I don't do think that. you need to like, and I don't think yeah. you need to have like, you know, a teacher walk you through that necessarily. Like I think no. that, you know, we all have the capacity to do that. We're writers. We can read very specifically for things. Yeah. I love that. Okay. I have one more question for you and then a quick little fun rapid fire. Got it. So this is a bit of a big lofty question, but I always think if you put it out there in the world, you put it in the universe, it all happens. So what are, I mean, you've already accomplished a big life goal, publishing a book. What are your short-term goals and what are your dreams, both professionally and personally for the long-term into the future? Oh goodness. Big question. COVID has like, let me not think more than a day. (laughs) Hey, that's fair. If that's your answer, (laughs) I think that's great. So I'm working on a second novel. I feel like, um, I mean, it's not close, but it's closer than anything else I have on the plate. So I feel like 
short term, it's that book. Mm -hmm. um, I feel really excited about it right now. I just started working on it again yesterday. I took all this time off from it and from writing in general. So it's been so exciting to get back inside of it. Oh. Um, so sort of shorter term, that's my goal. I also have a bunch of kids books that need to find homes. Um, that's been really fun to sort of like switch between genres. Yeah. Uh, and then I think bigger picture, I just want to keep writing novels. Like I, I don't know what a third book would be. I don't know. Like that, that all feels a bit like, ah, who yeah. knows? Um, and so like being able to like trust that I know what I'm doing to be able to take the lessons that I've learned in writing Amelia and writing sort of my next book. And so, so I don't start, you know, from the same ground zero that I always start at, but like, hopefully I can start like maybe at further down the road with some of the lessons that I've learned, how to integrate flashbacks, how to not write the quietest book in the universe, et cetera. Which is my <laughs> go -to. Um, so yeah, I think bigger picture, it would just be to, you know, figure out how to write a third, a fourth, a fifth novel, Yeah, which seems bananas right now, but also very possible in a like I'm very much a plotter like I mm -hmm. I break things down step by step and I just sort of move along yeah um which is a good way so, to be. yeah I think that I mean I, I have kids too so I don't have big swaths of time to work yeah. uh and so yeah I think that that's that's sort of my smaller and bigger picture I love it I love it I can't wait and I th the third book idea will come to you in the future, you just don't know it yet. I mean, yeah, you're exactly. Yeah. Can you and tell I need us, to remember, hmm, sorry. I was just going to say, can you tell us what your second novel is yeah. about the genre? So excited about it. So it's fiction. It's about um, a uh, character who is part uh, in a, like a, she's a children's musician. So she's like the early aughts answer to Sharon Wilson Bram. Love so she it. she pairs up with these, it's so much fun. It is so much fun. That is really a, fun. I just had a reader ask me, said like, I just had to Google you to see if you were a children's musician because it was a very convincing I was like that is the biggest compliment that is perfect yes um so this character you know has a quite a big extensive life she tours and performs with this sort of like broken social scene style band called bikes the Dovercourt bicycle collective so she's really trying to figure out you know like definitions of success definitions of artistic validation mm -hmm. uh, and then she has a baby and her life sort of explodes because she can't do all these things that she did she can't tour she can't write so I'm really interested in exploring very early motherhood in the book I'm really interested in exploring um you know what you do when you're everything that your identity is dependent on disappears and how you wow. rebuild from that um so that's sort of where it, I'm, I'm I'm sort of inside of all of that I right now love those I can't wait to read that it's pretty exciting that's I'm really, really excited really yeah and I think it's yeah it's something personally that I'm about to deal with and all that. So that's really exciting. Oh, it's so cool. Okay, we'll do a quick little fun rapid fire. So you can answer long or short, however you want. Okay, but... I'll try to be short to make it okay. rapid. POV, first person or third? First, always Ooh. first. Always first. for writing, for writing. Except my book reading. third. Oh, reading. Um, Both. I think first, I love first person. Okay. No, I wrote it in third, so that's weird. But anyways, I love first person. Yeah, okay, me too. What books are currently on your bedside table? Oh, gosh. Uh, I'm reading John McGregor's Lean, Fall, Stand. Lean, Stand, Fall. Mm -hmm. Fall, Stand, Lean. Those three words in some sort of combination that I should probably know. Yep. Um, he is amazing. He's from Nottingham. Uh, and he's been a huge supporter of my work. Um, 
I just finished Zoe Whittle's book. Oh, spectacular. The spectacular. Yep. Yeah. So good. I loved it. What else did I have? I read Ivan Coyote's Care of. It's all letters. It's beautiful. I'm just looking at my list over there. Oh, and I read the second season by Emily Adrian. Ooh. So amazing. So it's about, I am deep in love with basketball and it is about um, a woman who is a basketball reporter, announcer person. And again, it really plays with uh, motherhood and success and sort of building success in a world that, you know, doesn't have a lot of space for women. It's so remarkable. I like the second season, the second season. Okay. I'm going to have to get that. So good. Highly recommend. Love that. I love all of those themes. Okay. Well, favorite writing craft book. Do you have one? I don't actually, I don't, I don't have, one. Yeah. I, I like, I use books and then sort of try to pick apart. I mean, I have a bunch downstairs, but I don't really, I think that's smart. Yeah. You can spend too much time procrastinating reading, writing and craft books, which I have done. Uh, what are you binge watching on TV these days? If you even watch TV. Oh, do I watch TV? With all the stuff you've um, got <laughs> I, I need TV desperately enough. So I just binge watched um, Only Murders in the Building. Oh, yeah. um, it was wonderful. And uh, Succession, mm-hmm. I was just watching. And I was starting to watch the morning show and then it was set about the pandemic. And I was like, I don't want to do this. I can't do this. Yeah. So then I had to stop. We just lived it. We don't need to relive it. I'm still living it. Like I, yeah. I'm not ready. I, I get, so during the pandemic, I wrote like 80,000 words about the pandemic. And then I was like- <laughs> I don't want, I don't want to work on an all about this. I was like, shelve, not interested. No, you wrote a whole book about it. And well, it wasn't a book. It was like, it, wasn't... it was material. Material. Okay. But yeah, no, not interested in the pandemic right now. Yeah. We can't, you can't revisit it. I'm with you. No. Drink of choice while writing. I write in the mornings. So coffee always. Um, How do you take your coffee? Black with a bit of maple syrup. Cause wow. I'm bougie. Um, <laughs> but having a paper plane while reading my book is my favorite cocktail. Oh, I love that. Oh, the paper plane cocktail. Yeah. Do. Okay. Perfect. And what I, we kind of already asked this, but what does success feel like for you? Writing just continuing on. Yeah. I feel like yeah, seeing my books on a shelf is like this, like little, like hit of all those good feelings but for me it's like keeping on it's keeping on when like things feel hard it's keeping on it's being like clear and aware about how I'm feeling and what I'm interested in and sort of following that curiosity oh I love it that's perfect well let us know where we can buy the book where should we buy it and where can we follow you online so uh, it's available at all your local indies. It's available on all the big stores as well. Um, support your, lo- your local indies if you've got them nearby. Always key. They do amazing things um, for communities and for writers and every and publishers, all of the above. Um, and I am at lindsay.zervogel, Z-I-E-R-V-O-G-E-L. Well, I guess I should spell my first name too. L-I-N-D-S-A-Y dot Zervogel on Instagram and uh, Lindsay Z-V on Twitter. Perfect. And I'll leave all of those links in the show notes so everyone can follow along. Lindsay, thank you so much. I really enjoyed chatting with you today. This was awesome. Thank you so much. This was great. 